Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the freaking 10th of January, year of our Lord, 2023. And you say, why do you have a beaver damning a hallway? That pretty much sums up this whole podcast in a nutshell. Everything we're going to cover is just the left making shit up and trying to stay on the same talking points that are garbage fire. So, we're going to go straight in it. Today, we're going to cover the speaker ending with this nice, this is the longest blurb you're going to have. We're going to cover, oh, Biden had documents in our misinformation section. will be a big misinformation section today. Going to cover a little COVID misinformation. And if we can squeak it out in time, because I'm about to edit down a lot of these sound bites, because we have a lot of sound bites today, which I know are annoying, but to make the point, I must do it. I must do it. Um, there's a lot of shit. But I want to start with the worst of the worst on the speaker fight. And you're going to hear them bring up Hamlin. Uh, the football player that got injured. I don't know what the fuck that has to do with the speaker fight. And just literally fear-mongering the flickety-fluck out of everything they can get. Um, and I'm I'm building up in this front section because you know my favorite part is going to be the border where they sanitized the whole town and made it look like that's what it is. And the media let them because they're fucking garbage. So here is the worst of the speaker. What image of the country has been transmitted to sort of the streams of information and intelligence being gobbled up by our adversaries this week? What what do they see as our ongoing vulnerabilities and weaknesses in our democracy? Well, Nicole, I can only imagine because one of the uh, outcomes of this lack of a speakership, lack of being sworn in as members can't go get classified briefings on exactly that. But given what we've seen in the past, given what we know of how foreign powers exploited 
our tragedy of January 6th, how they pushed out those images, how they used it, how China, for example, used it to make the case that democracy doesn't work, that it's brittle, that it can't um, adapt to the times, that the China model was somehow to be preferred. China model is dictatorship, it's totalitarianism. That is not an alternative. But the more that our adversaries um, can showcase American governmental dysfunction. The Gates said, I've never quoted Matt Gates so many times in my life. Seriously, he's getting a <laughs> lot of airtime. Exactly uh, what he wanted. Oh, sure, of course. Um, but another thing he said is that the chairman yeah. of the House Freedom Caucus, this group of conservatives, some of whom have been with it McCarthy, is. but a lot of them haven't as well, uh, will now have more power than now. the Speaker of the House. And McCarthy. he's right in some ways. Yeah, but you know what? They kind the of House. did during... Paul Ryan. They kind McCarthy. of did during John Boehner, which is why John Boehner said, Nicole. I'm out of here, which is why Paul Ryan said, Jeffries. I'm out of here. And, you know, we talk about the Freedom Caucus. Jeffries. That is sort of the bigger um, caucus of, sort of the hard, harder McCarthy. line conservatives. None of Iowa. But they tend to be, for the most part, McCarthy. like real conservatives when you think about the fiscal situation and that ideology. Obernolte. The people we're talking about, we're, that we're looking at, McCarthy. that went from 20 on down, not Ocasio all of them, Cortez. but a lot of them, it's not about that. Jeffries. It's about getting their name Ogles. out there. It's about just being provocative. McCarthy. It's about being, in some Omar. ways, an anarchist, in some ways, an insurrectionist. Certainly these last seven holdouts, absolutely. Owens. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And so whoever wins the speakership, will that person be speaker for a week, a month? Uh, by August when you have to do the debt ceiling and that means you have to be responsible and responsible I think is the word here uh, respecting the system the organization the government uh, Dana I think put it as plainly as you can they don't care they don't care uh, especially when you have a small majority you have to accept your responsibility as a member of the team pick your pick pick your your business pick your sport imagine if a baseball team goes on the field and after two pitches the right fielder decides I want to pitch uh, it, it can't work that way. Someone has to be in charge. Someone has to be in charge of any organization. That doesn't mean you always agree with your boss. You don't always agree with your manager. You don't always agree with your coach. Imagine those two doctors we just listened to uh, who treated and all the people on the field who cared for that a Buffalo Bills player. Imagine if somebody said no or, or no, I want to do the other job. It doesn't work that way. When you're on a team, you have to. Yes. Yes. You go to the boss's office and you say, I want this. I want this. I want this. But eventually somebody has to make a decision and you have to accept the responsibility of government. To the attack on the Capitol, many of the most high profile election deniers lost their races, but threats to democracy remain. Laura Barone Lopez has more. Extremist political factions remain emboldened. Former President Donald Trump's third bid for the White House is built on lies about U.S. elections, and cities are reporting a record number of hate crimes. Here to discuss this is Cynthia Miller-Idris, the director of American University's Polarization and Extremism Research Innovation Lab, and Kim Shepley, a constitutional scholar at Princeton The historic chaos in the House of Representatives this past week embarrassed not only a party, but an entire nation. A small minority blocked the House from electing a leader or even swearing in its own members. Vote after vote, a would-be speaker could not bring himself to stand aside in favor of a colleague. Yes, it was only for a few days in January, but if members of the incoming majority party can't bring themselves to support a new leader, 
then one wonders what happens when Congress faces tough decisions on budgets, taxes, defense, or raising the debt ceiling. Actually, governing. I'm Leslie Stahl. We'll be back next week with another edition of 60 Minutes. My favorite nugget in that is literally Adam Schiff talking about government dysfunction. You literally tied up the Trump administration with bogus investigations that are still going on. I mean, that's the, the, the crux of this whole thing. They're freaking out that they want to investigate, but they little things that Biden's done on record and an election that they clearly stole after they said Trump stole an election with Russia's help. It is the most hypocritical bullshit, and 60 Minutes just closes it up in a nutshell. And I put the, the January 6th in there because that's literally what this is about. They were upset that they couldn't bring out their worse than the Civil War, the worst before, you know, worse since Cain beat Abel or Abel Cain killed Cain. I, I just don't get it. Shorter, WAPO. Republicans ignore our circle jerking and West Wing porn fantasies about Larry Hogan. They were literally writing articles about who they should pick. Freedom Caucus members are circulating this list about rule procedural changes they won from Speaker McCarthy. The only item including the GOP rule package up for a House vote on Monday would be motion to vacate the chair and single subject bills. They kind of were dickheads. Schiff went to the air or, or to Twitter. Looks like Kevin McCarthy conceded all the power of his office to crazies to finally get their votes. He had to give away the House to do it, and that was a sacrifice he's willing to make for the title. He will be a speaker and name and only. Jonathan Turley. Schiff's action embodied the slippery slope of censorship by labeling his critics as M of QAnon. Supporters or purveyors of misinformation. He sought to have allies in social media disappear, critics like Sperry, yet he found that even those allies could not stomach his demands. He's a hypocrite. And Paul Sperry, this is the oath Adam Schiff violated. And this goes back to the last podcast where we find in proof that he did it. This is the oath Adam Schiff violated. I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution, the First Amendment, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservations. Developing D.C. press corps, including WAPO and Politico, have failed to cover this leader strong-arming like the Taliban. Of course, nobody covered it, which shows what this is all about. It's not about freedom or, or any of those things they say they, they feel. It's about party politics. They just want to have poli party politics. And, and before we go to a second one, people buying SUVs are canceling out climate gains from electric cars. That was a big article this week that goes with the short people need to reproduce because big people use too much. I just wanted to get it up front because that, that's the kind of stuff they do. So next we're going to have Jimmy Fallon selling his soul singing a COVID scone, and I'm going to play all 58 seconds. And another, another fucking interview of Fauci, a man who's lied about everything and had the balls to call it a noble lie. And then we'll go through all the COVID stuff that's all of a sudden falling out because now Twitter doesn't boycott it. There was Alpha, then Delta, then Omicron X. But this latest variant might be the best. It's XBB.1.5. Another friend of COVID-19 has arrived. 
Dr. Fauci, I don't know if you saw it, but on Monday Night Football this week, DeMar Hamlin, a player for the Buffalo Bills, collapsed on the field. You're not an NFL expert, and you're not an expert on any cardiovascular issues the player might have had. But what I want to ask you about, Dr. Fauci, is, as I want to do in moments like that, I kept an eye on Twitter. And I can't tell you exactly how many minutes transpired, but it was less than 20 before people on Twitter began to say, well, clearly the vaccine caused his seizure. And that had a multiplier effect on Twitter, as these things tend to do. What's your reaction to that? Well, my reaction is one of concern about... Isn't it horror? Borderline? More than concern? Yeah, it's horror that misinformation and disinformation, uh, when you have a platform like social media that exponentially spreads in its best form proper and important and value-added information can spread, which is good. Yes. The thing as a public health person and as a physician and a scientist, and my, my identity as a physician is the thing that gets pained the most by that. Because what that means, Major, is that yet again, another conspiracy theory, complete nonsense, is going to have some people make a decision for themselves and their family not to get vaccinated which may cost them their lives. So that's the thing that's so horrible about it. And if you want to go out spouting nonsense, conspiracy theories and spreading it all around, fine, except if it results in a person suffering and perhaps dying. And that's what happens when disinformation disincentivizes people to get proper interventions for a threat like a pandemic. And in some of these instances, as you well know, Dr. Fauci, there is some shred of evidence myocarditis was related to vaccines. It is a heart issue. I'm not a doctor. You are. That's a shred right. of evidence. A very small shred, right. What, and, and explain how then this can get conflated. Of course. In a very, very rare case, some of the mRNA vaccines can cause a self-limiting, almost invariably benign, inflammatory response in the heart, which generally resolves in a very short period of time. It is very, very rare. When you come- Very rare, my ass. I was diagnosed with it. There's been an insane number of athletes that have dropped on fields due to it. FDA in their virtual meeting, we were falsely misled by Pfizer about the safety of vaccine. Heart attacks are 71 times higher than other vaccines. The vaccines are killing two people for every one life it saved. It's a doctor. Pro tip, if you think the long-term effects of COVID on children are unknown, so under five should take a vaccine with the worst side effects profile in history and whose long-term effects on children is unknown is a valid argument, should not be practicing medicine. This is still up, and these are doctors pushing for a kid back. Thank you. 
Want to know what the Pete Squad thinks about the COVID vaccines for kids under five? Relief. Happiness. Excitement. Children under five will most likely be able to get their vaccines starting next week. This will make a huge difference to families who have been mitigating risk over the past two years, just trying to keep their families and loved ones safe. While it's true that most young children will not suffer from severe outcomes due to COVID, many children have. Long-term effects of COVID on growing bodies are unknown. For this reason, the benefits of vaccinating young children outweighs the risk. But which vaccine is better? Both Pfizer and Moderna induced a robust antibody response, which correlates to protection against symptomatic and severe disease. Both vaccines were found to be safe, with zero cases of myocarditis reported in either trial. So what would we choose? Basically, we're recommending any vaccine that works for your personal situation and that you can have access to. In a minute, I'm going to need a vaccination for my children to protect them. Why? Kids don't die from this. U.S. Safety Agency considers ban on gas stoves amid health fears, which are total lies. These are all mixed up, sorry. Never forget that Stern, Lemon, Pierce Morgan, Jimmy Kimmel, Gene Simmons, and Arnold Schwarzenegger all said, screw your freedoms, get the vax. A doctor on Twitter. We are literally watching one of the greatest human trials in history as they have the nerve to ask what evidence we have these jabs are causing, what we claim they are causing over 2.5 years. Open your eyes. The only thing that has been heavily pushed, mandated, is the jabs. Billions of people were coerced, job threatens, family split, holidays ruined, mandates, constant fear-mongering from MSM politicians. Everyone was and still is about promoting, suggesting this product of 2.5 years. Now it's everything but protecting and causing deaths. And a whole article by Alex Berenson from the Twitter files, Pfizer board member Scott Gottlieb secretly pressed Twitter to hide post-challenging his company's massively profitable jabs. And it is broken down, and I'm not going to cover it because you already know it. Washington Post headline. I'm not doing screenshots today. The coronavirus is speaking, saying it's not done with us. They're pushing it again. I was watching Fox this morning. And they were pushing it. And why? And the worst part about it is we're not even covering that the Twitter, Twitter was forced by motherfucking the White House, Biden, to coerce all sorts of shit. So here's a misinformation soundbite. From now on, they'll have misinformation buffer in front of it. And it is Tucker Carlson. This still hasn't broke out on the mainstream. Well, all right, that soundbite was about McCarthy, and I was labeled wrong when I downloaded it. So let's go into our next file. This is the media pushing Jeffries. Jeffries is an election denier. Jeffries, Jeffries is a racist. He pushes CRT, LGBTQ, and he wants to take all your gun rights away, your right to drive a car, your right to fucking eat food, your right to own a house. He is a straight-up Marxist, but this... There's another misinformation soundbite. This is your media saying he is the greatest things in sliced bread and tied with bleach.
Got a bit of a Lin Manuel Miranda uh, thing going on there. He was he was uh, and he kept that going for a long time, by the way, without a script. Um, uh, an impressive showing. Some say a little bit wasted in the middle of the night on a night that wasn't his because he just had to hand over the gavel to uh, to McCarthy. But what did you make of, of Hakeem Jeffries' first big performance? I think Jeffries is thinking long term. What I saw was a pitch to Americans who've been disappointed and frustrated with the Republican Party this week, um, trying to present to them and make them know that there is another option. Uh, one of the main attacks against Democrats from the GOP is that it is not a party for rural Americans or conservative Americans or Christian Americans or people with more traditional ideas about what life should be like. And I think what Jeffries tried to do in that particular moment is communicate to those people, actually, if you feel like uh, you want a party uh, that is operating without chaos and has a high view of diversity, including some groups that perhaps maybe you don't see as often uh, as the face of the Democratic Party as you may like, uh, come over here and give us a try. It was a pitch. It was a pitch uh, to grow the party, to expand the party, and to get support for the party headed into 2024. And I suppose it wasn't wasted because most of the nation was was it was watching this very very closely last night so they got their their, their for a lot of people that was their first real taste of what Hakeem Jeffries is as a speaker uh, Eugene good to see you my friend thank you as always for joining us Eugene Scott is a national political talk about misinformation these are the people that push misinformation and they're the biggest misinformation pushers all I talk about is all, all opposing facts and misinformation and then you watch things and just go are you fucking shitting me And here's my fave. Um, what the hell's happening here? Oh, a video on the page was cutting through and it was weird. Um, here's the biggest misinformation in the world. And before I even play it, I'm going to show you. This is the Daily Mail of foreign countries newspaper. Crisis? What crisis? El Paso clears migrant camps ahead of Biden's first trip to border on Sunday. Always fall into January. He might as well have gone to Des Moines. President Joe Biden is due to visit the Texas border of El Paso. He's been under intense pressure. But Border Patrol agents say he won't see the problem they have to deal with. The city cleared migrant camps last week and illegal crossings have dropped. Border agents say because they told them to drop. Here is a before and after picture of what that place looked like. And now I bring you a block of misinformation. El Paso showing them begging them motherfucking camps up. The media covering Biden. Biden means somebody and Mayorkas just fucking lying. And of course, I'm playing the whole six minutes because this is how Democrats get to go on TV shows. And this is this week. It's supposed to be a journalist, the ex-Clinton staffer and they just let him lie. Shortages, several spots on both sides of the street, the yellow bins. Um, and so it's not as dirty or as far as trash being everywhere. Uh.
The president really setting the tone with that visit to the border yesterday. He is facing huge pressure to do more on this issue. With tens of thousands of migrants crossing the border illegally every month, the president knows this is a real political liability for him. So for the first time, he got a firsthand look, spending time meeting with local officials, law enforcement, even spending some time there walking along sections of the border. The president's trying to project that he is on top of this. He met the president on the tarmac yesterday, Republican Governor Greg Abbott, and he handed the president a letter outlining the steps that he would like to see him take to fix this. He said the president's visit to the border was too little too late, that Biden's policies have actually made the issue worse. But the president says the real problem here is Republicans back in Washington and Congress who have failed to act on comprehensive immigration reform. This pressing issue will be the crisis at the border in El Paso. Migrants finding various ways to get over or under the fence behind me, cutting through it, all of it creating a fraught drop for the president's first face-to-face -face visit with the border. While in El Paso, the epicenter of the ongoing migrant crisis, Mr. Biden met with Border Patrol officials and toured a services support center, though he did not directly meet with migrants. As soon as he arrived in El Paso, the president was met with criticism from all sides. Republicans are blaming him for the record number of people who are crossing illegally over to the U.S. and blasting that visit as nothing more than a photo op. President Biden met with workers at a Center for Migrant Services Sunday who told him they need more aid from the federal government. President Biden did not visit any of those areas where migrants have been camping out, nor did he see any large groups. And here we have a selection of Alejandro Mayorkas, who joins us now. Secretary Mayorkas, thank you for joining us this morning. Good morning, George. Thank you for having me. So, you know, the president's come under fire from some of his closest allies uh, over these new asylum policies, the ACLU, the head of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, several Democratic senators, including Bob Menendez, who called it an inhumane relic of the Trump administration's racist immigration agenda. Your response? George, I, you know, there are three core principles here. Number one, we are dealing within a broken immigration system that Congress has failed to repair for decades. And there is unanimity with respect to that reality, number one. Number two, the world is dealing with the greatest displacement of people since World War II, and the Western Hemisphere, our entire hemisphere, is gripped with a migration challenge. And three, we here in the United States are uh, premising our actions on the following. We want individuals who qualify for relief under our laws to come to the United States in a safe and orderly way. And that is why we are building lawful pathways so people do not have to place their lives and their life savings in the hands of ruthless smugglers. Those are the three core principles underlying our actions. That's the reality that we are dealing with. But as you know, Mr. Secretary, your allies say that the administration's continued use of this Title 42 uh, authority is what the problem is right now, and the administration has the ability to end that policy on its own. George, we've tried to end the use of Title 42. We sought to end it, 
and we were prevented from doing so by a district court in Louisiana. So we cannot use our ordinary immigration authorities to the fullest extent we've tried to. And so under the court's order, we are continuing to apply Title 42 until the Supreme Court's ruling. But the Supreme Court does say you can act on your own. But the district court in Louisiana does not. The district court in Louisiana, when we tried to use our ordinary immigration enforcement authorities under Title VIII of the United States Code, prevented us from doing so and said that we had to employ Title 42 to the full extent of our capabilities. You really are taking it from both sides on this issue. Texas Governor, we saw Greg Abbott in the piece there. He calls this a Band-Aid, and he says you need to be adding more funding and resources to border enforcement right now. Well, uh, Governor Abbott uh, is not collaborating with the federal government on an issue that requires collaboration. We cannot have the rights and the needs of individuals who are seeking humanitarian relief in the United States be exploited for political purposes. We cannot have unilateral governor action that is not coordinated with the federal government to address uh, an issue that is of national importance. As of yesterday morning, Kevin McCarthy is Speaker of the House, and back in November, he suggested that you might be impeached if you don't resign. Here's what he said. If Secretary Mayorkas does not resign, House Republicans will investigate every order, every action, and every failure will determine whether we can begin impeachment inquiry. What's your response to the Speaker? I am joining the president today uh, on his visit to El Paso, Texas. I've been to the border quite a number of times. I'm joining the president at the North American Leaders Summit in Mexico City uh, to work with our partners in Mexico and Canada to address the security of the homeland. I've got a lot of work to do. I'm proud to do it alongside 250,000 incredibly dedicated and talented individuals in the Department of Homeland Security, and I'm going to continue to do my work. So you have no intention of resigning? I do not. I've got a lot of work to do, and we're going to do it. Are you prepared for the investigations? I am. I will be, and I'll continue to do my work throughout them. As you said, you're going to be joining the president today, both at the border and then on to Mexico. What do you hope to accomplish on this mission? Um, I have uh, been to El Paso as recently as just a few weeks ago. I've been there quite a number of times. I've spoken with the president. He's requested uh, my visits to the border. I've gone uh, on my own, of course. And I want him to see the extraordinary work of the men and women of the United States Border Patrol, of Customs and Border Protection's field operations, how we have surged resources to address a challenge that is not unique to the southern border of the United States. It's a challenge that is uh, really gripping our entire hemisphere. You know, George, uh, I was in Colombia just a few weeks ago, uh, the country of Colombia, and there are 2.4 million Venezuelans in Colombia now. I was in Costa Rica a few months ago, and Costa Rica's population is increasing in the number of Nicaraguans. I was in Ecuador a few weeks ago, and they too are really experiencing unprecedented migration challenges. This is something that is not unique to the United States. It's gripping the hemisphere, and a regional challenge requires a regional solution. And that's one of the elements of the North American Leaders Summit that we look forward to addressing.
Secretary Mayorkas, thanks for your time this morning. Thank you. Hi, everyone. George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for checking out the ABC News YouTube channel. If you'd like to get more videos, show highlights, and watch live event coverage, click on the right over here to subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to download the ABC News app for breaking news alerts. Thanks for watching. It is goddamn un-American. That's what this is. That was Maya Flores. She went down there and took pictures. AP, Biden inspects U.S. mortar patrol uh, and face a GOP criticism. And, and I want you to remember a few things. This is the picture they all peddled. This is him calling them fucking whippers. Then he's down here like this. They made it look, he only, he shouldn't have to go. Why are you making them go? Our problems at the border aren't a rise overnight, and they won't be solved overnight, but we could come together to fix this broken system. And all he's done and been allowed to do is literally just say it's the GOP's fault. You know. There were thousands of interactions every day. All of a sudden, it trickles. Why would that be, boys and girls, if they're not in direct communication? And if this isn't such a big problem, Sanctuary City Mayor's Eric Adams and Lori Lightfoot have sent a letter to Colorado Democratic Governor Jared Polis demanding that he cease and desist from using migrants of cities, adding that their services have been exhausted. People's response to this shame, a load of shameless, irresponsible crap. Border apprehensions. This, this is fucking scary. All right. This, this comes from Ron Johnson. And this, this is how they are. This is what they get to get away with. This, this is just what we live in. The world we live in right now is garbage. It's fucking garbage because they're allowed to lie. And look at that. It's all under Biden. Three reasons Biden's border visit is the worst kind of politics. It distracts from the failures of his reckless, dangerous policy. Goddamn pop-ups. It uses law enforcement as a shield from political criticism and actively gaslights Americans. Proud Sheep Shakur, literally W. White House and POTUS have visiting the border without meeting a single illegal immigrant after El Paso cleaned out the immigrant Hooverville and became center with scrubbed of evidence of illegal immigrants. This is literally what Democrats think of immigrants. They don't want to see them. They want to have them flood southern states, but don't want to deal with them personally. Biden proved that. Don't believe me? Ask the mayors of New York City and Chicago. And these same clowns that oppose the border wall, still oppose the border wall, refuse to complete the wall, now have the, him triumphantly walking in front of the fucking border wall. Like it's all okie-dokie, arda Fucking choky. It's fucking criminal. What he has done just so that he can get more voters and replace people and flood red states so they'll vote blue and hopefully they'll win them. Not working too well in Texas. No Republican. No Republican. Do you remember what happened with Trump? 
Oh my God, do you remember it? It was nonstop. He was just following Obama's policy. So, going to do a serious section. Well, you know, I'm going to save this to the end. Um, I'm going to move bonga donga, donga donga ding dong do to the end. And we're going to go into what I, you know, I'm, I'm putting it up front because it just happens to fucking fit perfectly. Our lighter fare from bad lip reading. And they did uh, three about the speaker. And then two about Biden. They're just so fucking funny, but it fits up here. So we're going to do our, our uh, lighter fare and go straight into misinformation, boys and girls. Well, you'll see some more. Stuff, snuff, misinformation, inning, two Todd videos, and one um, video where they just, it just fucking shit hurts my soul. Son, what does a gopher build? Can you say it? Well, who knows? A really rich doctor said you were a bummer. And I think you don't know algebra. No, we're talking science, bud. The science of what? Is that a tiger? One of your friends promised me I could flick you in your face. Absolutely, you may not do that. Hit him in his cringy smirk, for real. Say any cereal name. Cinnamon Toast Crunch. You're like people in the 12th century. Why'd he say it like that? You're a formulated He's pickle popper. He's a storm cloud. I don't like you, dude. And there's a tiger. Oh, that's it. You two guys sent the tiger. What? I did no. not. Not me. What I mean, tiger? That's just, I mean. That is reprehensible. Okay, yeah. Okay, Brad, I'm a horrible person. Brad, I'll report you to Nadine. I just want your leg bones to be okay. I brought the tiger. Really, you got somebody on the organ now? Hey man, you're gonna pay for dinner. You're gonna fix no! My portrait isn't too good, but you can have it. I think you'll like it. it. Took like three hours, or like four hours to print it out. I refuse it. You should take it right now. Please don't read about fornication. We laid this cloth down in the forest next to a wolf. Dang it. You're a bad kitty, Wayne. Uh, no, you aren't bad. I want to talk. Just come back so I can talk to my child. I want my band name to be the best it could be. Choose your favorites. The meat socks. Pumpkin golfers. Freak ladder. Shower duty. Squeal stains. Highway Omen, Nut Dart, Your Girlfriend's Jacket, The Dale Dirt Clods, Slut Toast. You want to look at the Grand Canyon?
On the second anniversary of the January 6th insurrection, Kevin McCarthy clinched his decade-long quest to be Speaker of the House. It came with concessions to the most extreme members of his caucus, the help of the former president he denounced on the House floor two years ago, and the prospect of two more years of brinksmanship over his hold on the office, the fiscal security of the United States, and the basic functions. Let me ask you this. You're going to do a lot of oversight. You're going to have a lot of subpoenas. Many people look at what you're doing and they see that it, it, it looks more partisan than professional. Um, tell me wh how you're going to try to departisanize an investigation, or do you expect it to be partisan? Well, with all due respect, Chuck, I, I disagree with that. I think the only people that see this as a partisan investigation are the media and the hardcore Democrats. Look, uh, at the same moment that the Democrats on the Ways and Means Committee released Donald Trump's taxes, uh, they then moments later turned around and said uh, Comer's investigation of the Biden family influence peddling is a revenge hearing. I mean, are you kidding me? Look, a Harvard poll just came out and said 65% of the Americans believe that uh, the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop should be investigated. But let me be clear, we're not investigating Hunter Biden, we're investigating Joe Biden. And I think any American who's kept up with the political process over the past two administrations would agree. We need to know uh, what is allowable and what isn't allowable with respect to uh, foreign adversarial uh, intervention among family members of presidents of the United States. That's something that the Democrats complained about with Kushner, and certainly the Republicans, myself included, have complained about you with see why Biden and so Jim if, Biden, if the you president's didn't like, son and brother. Let me We've ask got you this. to do something about If this. you didn't like the way the Democrats did it, it sounds like you're going to do it in the same way that they did it. How is it any better? No. very. It, I totally disagree with that. Adam Schiff. Chuck, good morning. What a week it was in the House of Representatives. It was already a slim margin, of course, for Republicans after those midterm elections. And now Kevin McCarthy gives away so much of his power to finally get to the number he needed to become Speaker of the House. So what does this House of Representatives, what does this Congress look like now for the next two years? Uh, I think it's a it's really a minimalist Congre uh, House of Representatives uh, as far as legislative accomplishments are concerned. They're not going to have any accomplishments that they're going to be bragging about. I think the only thing they're going to be able to take the voters that their voters want are going to be their investigations, their subpoenas, their oversight. And I think the committee hearings might be all that they accomplish because I don't know how they get the basics done, right? Raising the debt ceiling, funding the government. I think you're going to see a lot of of, of sort of uh, of having to go around the Republican leadership, right? You're going to see discharge petitions. My apologies for using such an arcane term, but it is something that will be, I think, the only tool, viable tool, that will keep the lights on for the federal government, that will keep the, the, the country from defaulting on its debt. So the real question to me is the political impact here. The last two times Republicans gained the House in the midterm of a Democratic presidency, the behavior of the House Republicans essentially helped reelect said Democratic president. See Bill Clinton, 1996. See Barack Obama, 2012. And I tell you, I don't know about you, Willie, but all this week, it felt like we're about to see a trilogy. Yeah, absolutely. And those issues you talked about, raising the debt ceiling, funding the government, huge issues that you, as you said. But David, you served in the House. You've been in the room for these types of negotiations. Matt sure. Gates was asked why he changed his vote 
to present and eventually, you know, for support of McCarthy, he said that he, quote, ran out of things to ask for. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how concerned should Americans be <laughs> about what Kevin McCarthy gave up, what he agreed to behind those closed doors yeah. to finally get the gavel he's been craving for so long? Yeah, that, that the question of what was given up is so important here within the context of what we commemorated yesterday, the two-year anniversary of January 6th. And first, Katie, fantastic to be with you and Fernand, two of my good friends. I have to eat a little bit of crow this morning. I said Kevin couldn't get it done. I think I overestimated two things, the amount that Kevin would give away and the fact that the Never Kevin said they'd be Never Kevin, and they clearly <laughs> clearly lied. But Kevin got it done. I, I got it wrong by a little hair here. But let's talk about how he got it done, because it's it's so critically important. What he gave away, what we know he gave away, was to give more breathing room and more power to the insurrectionists. And we really have to look at it through that context. You will hear the insurrectionist caucus talk about how what they did was empower all members to be able to do more on the floor. That's true. But those members had usually been kept in check by leadership, certainly by Pelosi, definitely by Boehner and Ryan, because they tried to quiet those forces. Now they gave more liberties, more power to the very people that cooperated with Donald Trump in trying to steal the election. That's what just happened. He handed over the keys to to that party by saying or to that group by saying you can now have. So let's start up front with what would be all over the media nonstop instead of the other Bali who we're about to cover, and that is that Biden had documents, top secret documents, in an office unsecure. Scott, how do you see this being handled by Republicans in, in Capitol Hill? Yeah, I think every Republican in the Capitol is feeling like the Michael Scott paper company sauntering back into Dunder Mifflin tonight. Well, 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 how the turntables. I mean, Dana had it exactly right. This is the, the political usefulness of this for the Republicans as people attack Donald Trump about his issues. I get it. And uh, they're not the same. And yes, there'll be conflation here. But the political useful, uh, useful, uh, usefulness of this cannot be underscored, cannot be overstated enough. I mean, I mean, to give Republicans this talking point for the rest of their natural lives uh, almost exonerates Trump and, you know, in, in terms of debates and what comes up. I mean, if this ever comes up and somebody brings it up, you're always going to have this retort. So there's a lot of, rep by the way, wow. everybody in politics is laughing their rear end off tonight that this happened to Joe Biden, given how strident his commentary was in attacking Donald Trump about this in the first place. Now the J six stuff has not relented since J six. And like I said, they're very upset. They didn't get to have their fuck, fuck goose time and play all the memorials and shit. But I stumbled across this, and this was a Google search. Sorry, I got to take my stomach medicine. I guess I should have taken it off camera. A Google search arguing online with people that... The left started this, and I found this great document. It is from the RNC, and it covers every fucking time the left has denied elections. 
But this J6 stuff, they can't let it go. They need it. So they keep covering it. And last podcast, we covered this lady here. But not only did she cover this, she's a stenographer. She put out the White House background. Because why not? Why actually search? Here's another person noticing that, once again, Biden. Did I grab this? Oh, fuck. What the fuck happened? There it is. No. Nah. Fuck. Let's do it live. I fucked up. Biden is, once again, and he does it every year, he misinforms that one of the officers literally... Where did those come from? I don't get it. Ah. Hmm. That's a that's not supposed to be there, so something's going wrong. There it is. Says one of the officers killed by the lefty was killed by a, a righty. And the media doesn't correct it. That's misinformation, is it not? It's lying. And this is so ingrained in the left. That this is a real thing, that uh, they're doing this again. Uh, Hilaria Bryden Esquire. We found this on our daughter's bedroom door this morning. January 6th fixed kids just as much as it did adults, possibly more. Stay safe today and hold your loved ones close. I'm not coming out until Donald Trump says sorry for January 6th. That's child abuse. If your fucking kid knows about January 6th, you got a fucking problem. Then worse, the J6 committee leaked a bunch of fucking people's social security number. So anybody that they scooped up, they leaked. USA Today, did they cover that? No, two years since the January 6th insurrection. Extremist groups are fragmented, but live on. The Proud Boys are everywhere. But I'd like to remind you once again that this was not the first time the Capitol or the White House or any of those buildings were breached. I could play liberals going after Supreme Court, but I'll just do the easy low-hanging fruit. This was uh, May, you know, 2020, George Floyd. They, they breached it. They, they had to put the president in a bunker. But this week, the thing that was overriding and our media was so obsessed with was that in Brazil, there was a J6. And I'm not even going to do slides from this. I'm just going to play one soundbite, and then I'm just going to show the amount of people that were all over Twitter all weekend. Instead of covering that Biden had documents, they were pushing misinformation that Donald Trump and the right had something to do with Brazil's riots.
Last night, Bannon posted on social media, quote, Lula stole the elections. Brazilians know this. He's been talking about Brazil for months, pushing conspiracies and calling for Bolsonaro and his supporters to not accept the results of the election. You got to start in Brazil with the Bolsonaros and the fight for freedom and the, the fight for sovereignty. The criminal uh, Lula, the international criminal Lula, the partner of the Chinese Communist Party, is on the cusp with the aid and assistance of the United States government and national security apparatus who brag about, you know, CIA going down there in the summer, warning the Bolsonaros of uh, the... Um, All right, Jake. enough, enough. We, I, get we, we, we get the idea. We get the uh, point. Trump's not comment on the rights in Brazil, but he expressed his support uh, for this thug several times. He took credit for helping him reach the runoff in the presidential election. Uh, Jimmy Raskin of Maryland made a direct comparison between what's happening in Brazil and Donald Trump supporters tweeting apart these fascists modeling themselves after Trump's January 6th rioters must end up in the same place, prison. Uh, and, and Michael Steele, uh, this is, this is, well, first of all, if you're, if you're in Brazil and you see fascists trying to undermine democracy in Brazil, you could be forgiven for asking, wait, how does this guy keep getting arrested? How does this guy keep getting convicted? How does this guy keep getting <laughs> sentenced? And how does this guy keep like out of jail to, to export fascism and the undermining of democracy. That's, that's part one of it. But part two is, and I know, I know you'll share my feelings as, as, for me, a former Republican, but we used to be the people that praised Ronald Reagan for talking about exporting democracy, for calling the Soviet Union an evil empire. And while everybody freaked out in the West while he was saying that, we heard after uh, the Iron Curtain fell, that people were whispering, you know, from prison cell to prison cell in the gulags. There is hope. There is a president who understands what, what's going on, and we have a chance to be liberated. I mean, that's where we used to be. Now we actually, after 240 years of exporting democracy from this country, Jeffersonian democracy from this country around the world, we're now... We're through Donald Trump, we've, we've, we've got people exporting fascism, uh, election denialism, uh, hatred of the press, hatred of the courts, all the things that Bannon was saying right there and that, that the people of Brazil picked up on. Yeah, you, what you heard there was a lot of projection about the processes of election uh, from from a guy who was very much a part of fomenting insurrection here. Uh, look, they're packaging this stuff. We, we've seen it. Uh, we've seen it extend into organizations like CPAC, where they're now uh, going going out globally, holding these uh, big uh, events uh, to further instigate and install this this mindset. In fact, uh, to be honest, Joe, I was surprised that what we're witnessing now in, in uh, Brazil did not happen last fall after the election. Um, I thought that there was a coordination that would lead up to when that election was called, uh, this type of rioting, uh, very similar to what we saw on January 6th. But you see now the pattern. You see now laying down the predicate 
that elections, um, democracy, the process cannot be trusted. So, you know, that was a fucking 12-minute soundbite. They just go on and on. David Andler, holy shit, a policeman arrived on horseback at the insurrection in the Balsoyos. Beat the horse up. Trump aides Bannon Miller advising Bolsonaro on the next step. They have no proof of this. They're just making it up. Article. Uh, lefties fall over themselves blaming Republicans, no seriously, for Brazilian con- uh, storming Congress. BNL News, Bolsonaro supporters break into National Congress. Video captures support of former President Bolsonaro smashing windows. AOC needs special protection today. Bolsonaro supporters storm Brazil Congress. I don't want her to die again. <laughs> CNN. It looks very, very close to what happened. I'm not playing CNN. I'm not going. That was MSNBC. I'm not going to play all these sound bites because I'm sound bite heavy. But fuck you. Just go fuck yourself. Supporters of former president Jair Bolsonaro. It looks like January 6th. Brazil, Ian Bremmer with our January 8th moment. Two years after January 6th insurrection, the U.S. violence in Brazil, he said again. Brian Winters, Brazil, I'm very sorry to keep sending you our worst ideas. Uh, Nazar Azel, from the Trump far-right playbook, when democracy, ordinary people voting, even when you make it difficult for them to vote, doesn't go your way, you storm things. Um, Brian Tyler Cohn, representing Colin Aldred. Waji Ali, the maggot extremism goes global. NPR, Max Fisher, Jay McKenzie, Ali Alexander promoted Brazilian election denial, and he was an ex-Stop the Steal Trump person, so some kook online. And then they have him talking, which I'm not going to play. Katie Herzog, heads up, if you're going to create fake news outlet to publish fake investigation reporting exonerating you, you should probably delete your name from your outgoing message. Charles Fawn Lemon was covering this, and then he did a story protecting him from investigations. Ryan Goodwin, connecting the dots of Steve Bannon, Ali Alexander, Jason Millen, Brazil's insurrection by M. Welding, U.S. disinformation reporter for the BBC News, because everybody's got one now, because it's the cool thing. What happened, this is Ryan Broderick, what happened in Brazil yesterday wasn't a replay of January 6th, it was an escalation. Brazil Brazil capital reels after Antli Lua Brazilian insurrectionist storm Congress, that was Bloomberg. Glenn Greenwald, the world-renowned Brazilian expert, lots of new ones today, when CNN chooses to lecture everyone on the need for peaceful protests. Joe Walsh, on November 8th, I'm voting for Trump. On November 9th, for Trump's losing, I'm grabbing my musket. You in? That was a joke. CNN, Jim Scudo on the uprising in Brazil. Is election denialism a new U.S. export? Let's listen to this. But as you watch this and how it was seeded by the losing candidate in that election, who had a lot of rapport, one might say, with Donald Trump, is election denialism a new U.S. export? Fuck yourself in the ass with a broom handle. Adam Schiff, rioters attack government buildings in Brazil, supporting a strongman's bogus claim of election fraud. The world will suffer the consequences of Trump's terrible example for years to come. Even as we struggle to emerge from the same dark shadow, we stand with you, Brazil. What dark shadow? What are you talking about? What has that got to do with America? I'm just asking. I'm asking. 
for a friend. Does anybody know? What, what are we doing? Why is all this so important for these people? I mean, I know it gets their people out to vote because they can't get them to vote because all their policies suck asshole. Um, I, I God, this stuff kills me. So on the rest of ours, I'm going to... Okay, that's good. No way you can get into a... We can get into a trans section. Here's an email from White House Digital Director R. Lafferty telling Facebook to censor Tucker Carlson and Tommy Lair right out in the open. Wall Street Journal, or the Western Journal, White House documents appear to show Biden administration dis- disturbing plot to silence Tucker Carlson. Another article. YouTube's nefarious censorship fueled Rumble's growth. Without it, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have a video. Another one showing evidence they tried to censor almost everybody. Here, a White House employee asked Twitter to silence Robert Kennedy Jr. Here, Biden White House dressed Facebook to go after Larner uh, Carlson. Here is Big Tech saying, we'll toe the line. Here's more collusion going after scientists. This goes on and on. It's from the Twitter files, and it's there. Dr. Kat Lindsay, the true threat to freedom is silencing of the people who think different from the narrative, who try to find real solutions, who value truth and life above all else, who have, been, have seen evil firsthand. And it's a censorship symposium. Now we're starting to fight at back. Matt Taibbi has gotten a bunch of shit over reporting this. Only MSNBC could respond to an expose about how DHS, FBI, DOD, CIA, and other agencies are funneling masses of content moderation requests to private companies but calling the author of the report authoritarian. Zeshan Alim, I attempted to sketch out the meaning and possible consequences of the political trajectory of Greenwald, Talibi, Gabbert, et al., and he's calling them authoritarianisms. Then, Dave Latos, I respect the work he did at Rolling Stone. His books, he is um, ridiculously smart and able to present complex ideas simply and engagingly. I love the voice from the great derangement and RS. I love it if he could be do important work and not expose what Twitter was run, hard to run. Matt Talibi's response, didn't expose that Twitter was hard to run. We found that the elaborate relationship with the government and government agencies silencing Americans. Another one, except this is a lie. You've obviously been paid to tell. First, nobody paid us. Second, what part is supposed to be a lie? These are outright emails, and they're ignoring them. Alex Barrison's long drop, and I'm not going to cover all of it, but it's the same thing. It's just what we know what it is. And doggone... Freaking Musk says the truth is out there. It's obvious. They lied because that's all they had. 
NPR attacks Rush Limbaugh on Salem Radio in a seven-minute hit piece on white right-wing radio, and you and I paid for it. Simultaneously, Disney tells they got tells employees they got to come back to work for four days a week, and they're having a revolt. So all these more important people and all the the um, journalists, in quote, who are telling you and me what to think, how to vote, what to eat, uh, what to drive. They don't want to go to work. They want to stay home in their pajamas or their boxer shorts and a suit like seltzer. Stacey Abrams' campaign reports $1.4 million in debt. Where'd the money go? Where'd it go? We'll never know, will we? Because our media will never go after her. She is the actual governor of Georgia, so they say. So, our misinformation done. We're going to play a quick soundbite. Five things the Republicans need to do from Dan Bondingo. And if you don't watch this Saturday show, it's very entertaining. Because the guy is just fucking funny as shit. Um, so I'm going to edit this down. Hold on a second. Cause it's got, um, the professor on and on the other side, we're going to go into a woke. Welcome back to unfiltered folks. As you know, I say it all the time. I'm long on America. Do not bet against America. It's the worst bet you can ever make. God has touched this country, always has. The proof is right there, just look at it. So as we head into 2023, I wanted to talk about some things we can do, some simple steps that conservatives can take to ensure freedom survives and the country gets better. We can hand our kids a better country, not a worse one. Here's a simple one. Let's just balance the budget. Folks, we don't even have to do it overnight. If you were to just do it over a 10-year plan, We could fix the bond market or interest rates, everything. It would send a signal to the world that we're serious about not spending money we don't have. Here's another simple step for for, uh, public safety moving forward. What about constitutional carry? You know, you have a carry permit. It's called the Constitution and the Second Amendment. An armed society is a polite one. Can't depend on the government to protect you all the time. Here's another simple one as well. Again, this is easy stuff. It's only politically difficult because the Democrats hate things like choice and a prosperous economy moving forward. They don't like capitalism. Here, school choice. It's a winning issue. How do we know it's a winning issue? Because what parent doesn't want to send their kid to a good school? Here's a crap school. Here's a good school. Okay, I'd like to pick. And I don't want to pick the crap school. Sounds like a winner, right? It's a winner down here in Florida. Here's number four, patient-centered payments for health care. Think about it, right? Call them vouchers, whatever you want. I know the left hates that term. But Obamacare didn't fix anything. Why do you have to call someone in the government to have a doctor crack open your chest? We don't even like going to the DMV. You want someone to crack open your chest that the government's going to sanction or not? How about this? How about we fix this whole safety net thing? Just give people money and let them pick their own doctor and insurance. I know, crazy idea, right? Until you actually ask people. Here's the last one I like to talk about. Personalized social security accounts. You know, I never got this. 
So we give our money over to the government for this government-run retirement uh, fund called Social Security. The government spent all the money and flushed it down the toilet. It has a bunch of IOUs. And then when we say to people, I've got a better idea. How about you control your own money instead of the government? You see liberals losing their mind. Turn it up. everyone in the world to understand uh, my identity. I barely understand my identity myself. You don't have to understand someone to respect them or their wishes. So I don't have to understand what it is to be a black person to speak respectfully to black people. I'm pretty sure that you can do the same for trans people, specifically non-binary people. Um, we are not new. We are not trendy. We are not interesting or something that you can um, fetishize or try to, you know, just fucking sum up. It's just off. Just shut the fuck up. Hello. We've been receiving a couple comments like this, so I'm here to respond. We've partnered with the YWCA to give out free gender affirming products to members of our community. We are receiving these products from the YWCA for free. We offer chest binders in the sizes extra small to 5XL. We offer packing briefs from sizes extra small to 3XL. And we offer tucking gaffs from the sizes extra small to 2XL. Our size ranges differ depending on product. If you have any other questions, comments, or complaints, feel free to contact us at this number or this email. Have a joyous day. You burn my house to the ground! My family's dead! What do I do? This is not like racism, it is racism. Anti-fatness is rooted in anti-blackness. And the reason why people are pursuing thinness is because they're pursuing proximity to whiteness. The reason why people hate fat people is because people hate black people. And appearing curvy or bigger is associated with blackness, especially black women. And that's why they're discriminated in the workplace, um, overly sexualized. And this has gone back for centuries and centuries. All systems of oppression, capitalism, sexism, racism, it all comes back to white supremacy which is the foundation of the fabric of America and rules every sector and aspect of our society. All eyes on me Horrified looks from everyone in the room So let's talk about why it's all white women. In Portland, Oregon, one of the most liberal cities in the country, Joanne Hardesty, a longtime community organizer and activist and recent city council member who actually did something about the um, homeless population, houseless population, as well as helping create the, I'm not living in Portland right now, but it's the, um, the citizen group that comes and deals with uh, mental health crisis, right, instead of police, got um, taken out of office on Tuesday and replaced by Renee Gonzalez, who is an inexperienced person who's basically running against an unpopular black woman. So the liberal city of Portland um, decided to listen to uh, a, uh, the propaganda against a black woman who'd been um, framed by the uh, Portland Police Bureau for an Oregon Oregonian article about, I can't even remember now, it was like about her um, 
her having an interaction with police that didn't even happen, a fabrication. But the racism is so strong in one of the bluest cities in the nation. And I have no doubt that if Roe hadn't been overturned, we would have been looking at a red wave. So I'm saying all this because I understand exactly what liberal women feel. It's not me. It's that evangelical bitch over there. It's those crazy fascists. We don't understand that we are part of the ecosystem of the oppressor class. And when we don't do anything about the oppressor class, we are just part of the it problem. So we are joined to those evangelical women. We are joined to those privileged women because we are also benefiting from the oppression that they vote for. And do we actually vote ever against our own oppression? I mean, against our own privilege? No. Because you know what happens? We go to a protest, we do the thing, but when it really comes time to show up, there's always something a little off about that leader or that person. Because the racism is so profoundly strong. And we have been, we are, in, we are brainwashed. And when you talk about uh, evangelical women being in a cult, they are in a higher level of the cult we are in, which is the cult of white supremacy. Liberalism is its own version of that cult. We just hold intellectual men in academia in the place of all those pastors. And don't they do all the same things with sexual abuse and all that crap? But what they, what they do is they say, oh, you can have a right to choose whether or not to have a child. They're not as concerned with the propagation of tons of white children. Just a couple, right? They got to make sure they have a couple, maybe, a, maybe through a couple marriages. It's all white women because it's not just how we vote. It's what we do. Meet Australia's youngest drag queen, 13-year-old Candy Featherbottom, also known as Logan out of drag. Hi everybody, I'm Candy Featherbottom. And 15-year-old Queen Cherry West from Edinburgh, Scotland, also known as Sam Carling out of drag. Hello was I'm Cherry West, the Red Berry Venerable, and I am a 15-year-old drag queen. Though from different parts of the world, these queens have more than just their young age in common, but their passion for all things drag. Candy's love and passion for singing and performing came from watching a family-friendly performance at the local bowls club by Group Taboo and led to her drag debut at the North Ipswich Bowls Club in Brisbane at just 10 years old. Getting up on a stage and you know bringing that smiles to those people's faces is why I do it. And Cherry's inspiration came from watching her drag icon Bianca Del Rio. A queen that inspired me quite a lot was Bianca Del Rio from season 6 of Drag Race. Um, I recently seen her in Edinburgh performing and she's absolutely incredible, I'm obsessed with her. The Trailblazers are challenging perceptions on young queens through not only their stellar performances, but through speaking up for all of the kids finding out who they are. I think it's important for there to be more young drag queens out there because, especially at school for kids, they have to be this certain person and they have to be in this little box. So for me, drag is a way of expressing myself and I think kids just need to be able to be out there and kids need to be who they are. And over in Scotland, Cherry explains that not only is it important for the students to push for LGBTQ plus artistry support, but help from the schools is crucial. I'm lucky enough to have an LGBTQ plus group at my school where there's so many trans men and women. There's non-binary people who just are all so supported from this one teacher who as part of the LGBT group that is running it. And with that support, more queens could be encouraged to bring their drag to school and get glam for their proms. I would love to go to prom in school, but I would feel quite sad for the other people because, girl, I would show them up. I would be having my Cinderella moment. I would have a big, massive, sparkly outfit. 
Like, I would be obsessed with it. But through all of the positivity, there's no denying that young queens are a target for hate. As Candy explains, articles would target her parents for him being too young in the world of drag. And Logan's parents' response melted our hearts. If it's something that your child loves doing, um, it's in a safe environment, uh, and, you know, it, it, why not? We couldn't agree more, and Logan for sure doesn't let any of the criticism get to him either. That's water off a duck's back now, and I would rather put my energy in focusing into the people that love me than don't like me. Can I get an amen? But with the criticism aside, the positive truly shines through, as Cherry explains how drag lets you express your art and lets you be your true self in a safe space and a community that love you. And we couldn't have put it better ourselves. Not dating trans people is not a preference. Not dating blondes is a preference. Not dating people who are, I don't know, shorter than five, six is a preference. Not dating people with brown eyes is a preference. Being trans is not a specific characteristic. Thus, you can't label it as a preference. That's just called bigotry. No one's forcing you to date trans people, but don't cover up your discriminatory bias in the name of preference, because the logic doesn't add up. Like I've said in many a video, the logic of transphobia never adds up. All right, so here are some recommendations for a fifth grade classroom library that have queer rep, where the queer rep is the main character. Middle grade is not my forte, but I do have some suggestions to try and give a wide variety of representation. Unfortunately, I ran into an issue where some of my books were at home and some of my books were in my classroom, so it's not going to be the most streamlined recommendation list. We're going to start off with Melissa's story by Alex Gino. The author has requested that we change the name on as many of the books as possible in order to reflect the character's actual identity. So this one we've got a trans girl contemporary middle grade. Some more trans girl rep is Pet. This one I believe is technically young adult, but it's on the shorter end of young adult. And this one is black trans girl rep, and it is fantasy. For some black sapphic girl rec, we've got Hurricane Child by Case and Calendar. This one is firmly middle grade. And then we've got the Not Your Sidekick series by C.B. Lee. These cover a variety of different representations depending on the book. They are middle grade and they are superhero based, so a lot of kids are into this. So that is the middle grade that I have at home. But a couple other things to consider are Rick by Alex Gino for some ace representation and then any of the middle grade books by Ashley Herring Blake will also be good ones. And then for your kids who like to read up, Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda and the other Simon vs. books are really safe. They're not going to have anything too out there and the kids tend to love them. I know that in sixth grade that was a really popular poll, so I imagine that it would work for fifth as well. Also for some graphic novel recommendations, because those are always fun, I have Drama by Raina Telgermeier in my classroom and then The Girl from The Sea is also middle grade graphic novel and queer. You know, there's one great distinction between black folks and white folks. <clears throat> black people have the moral high ground. They do. Black people have them. When you do a comparison morally between white people and black people, you have to take away one thing, supremacy. Black people do not have a culture of black supremacy. However, white people do. So white people are narcissists, social, cultural, systemic narcissists is who we are because of 
are racism because of the lies of white supremacy. So how can white people have morality as long as we have bought into the lies of white supremacy? We can't. And how does that feel to know that black people have a moral high ground? How does that feel to know as a white person that you are sick, twisted, narcissistic, and immoral, highly immoral and inhumane? I don't use the N-word. What are you doing to fight and dismantle racism that benefits you, white person? Nothing. I ignore it, I deny it, or you perpetrate it. Those are the three things we do. We ignore it, we deny it, or we perpetrate it. That's what most white people do. I hate to say it, but it's true. And that's why I say we're social narcissists and we have no moral high ground racially. We are sick, hurting people. Hurt people, hurt people. And we've been hurting a long damn time. We're hurting. like to pass yourselves off as superior in every way you sure do get incredibly offended and booty hurt when black people say that they don't want to be around you black people not wanting to be around white folks has historical precedence and the only thing it does is hurt your fragile ego white people on the other hand not wanting to be around black people is racist because the only reason that white people don't want to be around black people is because of stereotypes that they invented to make black people seem more dangerous or hypersexualized, or simply because they don't like the color of our skin. You remember that scene in uh, Pocahontas? These white men are dangerous. Or this song. This is what we feared. The pale face is a demon. The only thing they feel at all is greed. Beneath that milky hide, there's emptiness inside. I wonder if they even bleed. They're savages, savages. Barely even human. Savages, savages. Killers at the core. Granted, this movie has some incredible inaccuracies to support its white savior narrative, but those two scenes are incredibly paced. So I just had to call out sick from work because I've had these awful, unexplainable stomach cramps all day. And I just, I really, really hope that I'm sick because, you know, I've been on hormones for a year and I've heard people say that this is around the time when they start getting like period cramps. And if I have to deal with this once a month, I am going to be so upset. I don't have 12 sick days a year. I'm just gonna have to power through. That sounds awful. Hello everyone. I've got a little educator hot tip for you on figuring out how to ask people for the name they go by and also their pronouns. So the first day of classes, the way that I do it is I go around the room and I ask every person to give me their name and their pronouns. Now, if their name is different than what's in my binder, um, I tell them to make sure they tell me their last name too. So if you go by a different last name because it's your nickname or you have a name that's that you go by that's different than your legal name you don't have to like out yourself um it just that's who you are i cross it out really dark in my binder so i can't even uh see it and i write the new name 
nice and easy, and their last name always lets me know who they are if I have to go into the system. And then uh, in terms of pronouns, I ask every single person to share their pronouns. And I always make the joke, you know what they say about assuming, and I don't want to look like an ass. Uh, so you make it about you. Like, I don't want to mess up, so I'm going to ask everyone to use their pronouns. And I do as well. And then I write them next to their name so that every time that I have to look at the attendance um, or I can always double check and make sure I'm using the correct pronoun. So far, it's worked really, really well. Um, but if you have other good suggestions for this that can make me do even better, drop them down in the comments. Thank you. Bye. Uh, my pronouns are not preferred. They're not a preference. They are mandatory for interaction with me. Um, I do not expect everyone in the world to understand uh, my identity. I barely understand my identity myself. You don't have to understand someone to respect them or their wishes. So I don't have to understand what it is to be a black person to speak respectfully to black people. I'm pretty sure that you can do the same for trans people, specifically non-binary people. Um, we are not new. We are not trendy. We are not interesting or something that you can um, fetishize or try to, you know, just fucking sum up. It's just off. Just shut the fuck up. What the fuck was that? That's a lot of pain. I know I play a lot of them and it's fucking painful, but you know what? It needs to get out there. This is what they tried to stop. Libs of TikTok doing. Owl of Athena, this is sick and alive, but these people believe in someone make it stop. If your kids are ASD, get them out of school. Hi, everyone. Happy New Year. I'm Cap Dylan Caped, the Glenson Educator Advisory Council and one who's been monitoring the group for most of 22. I want to share the super cool webinar. 70% autistic folks are LGBTQ, gender nonconforming. So I'm going to play something that is, once again, a mashable showing the artists and performers of drag syndrome. They have taken people and made them into drag queens, and they have downs. Bring some champagne and bring some chromosome. Let me hear your sisters. Where's my Say hi to the camera, Justin. Oh, what's up, girl? Drag syndrome is part of life. If people like me with Down syndrome want to be part of drag, they can. They're all allowed to come in and be involved. I was watching the first drag race when I first started drag, and I also like a boy, so I thought, honestly, I'm going to drag and be a drag king. So my sister looked up, she looked Daniel up on the internet and got me in. My name is Daniel Weiss and I'm the creative director of Culture Device and Drug Syndrome. 
Drug Syndrome is the world's first uh, drug troupe for yeah. uh, drug artists with Down Syndrome. Tonight we have Justin Bond. King Justin Bond. We have Rolling Bands. Gaia Kalas. Wow. Gaia Kalas is amazing. And Lady Francesca. I've been born to dance. I've stopped. I dance everywhere. We're also collaborating with other queens, THC. And Cassandra. Sometimes drug is an idea that you want to communicate. The quite incredible performers. There is drug, we're doing ballet, we're doing uh, theater, we do different kind of uh, art forms. So this is only one side of the performers. So before the show starts, they're traveling, they all live in different places. And then costumes, hair and makeup, getting into character. This is my cat suit. I got these homemade Barbies. And boom, on the stage. Did you polish your extra chromosome? Now is the time. We've started working on drug syndrome exactly a year ago in March 2018. The most memorable thing is every performance. The first night, of course, was... The same people that want to kill that before it's born. Remember that. That's their deal. You don't let them live. You stab them in the wound and kill them and suck them through fucking razor blades. Now, they're making them trans. Another activist, this needs to be continued. This is from Gay Gays Against Groomers. I follow them. While Aaron and Morn has blocked, their account is actually a great resource for all the bills being proposed to ban transing of kids. Minutes ago, Virginia proposed a sweeping anti-trans law. It would ban gender-affirming care under 21 years old, forcibly medically detransitioning them. It would force all government agents to notify parents in writing of kids exhibit gender nonconformity. This needs to stop, and she covers a bunch of them. There's one in Arizona, because now I'm following this freak of nature who is a dude uh, that acts like a girl, and I'll be on top of that. Then you see the rare tweet. I was groomed. Everybody abused me. That's what it is. Libs of TikTok found this. California district facilitating gender transition on children without parental consent again. And this is just one of a million. Um, it, it just doesn't stop. And this is the director of that. My name is Anush Jordarian, and I am the director of Yolo Rainbow Families. We work directly with trans and gender expansive teens, as well as parents of LGBTQ plus kids in the Davis School District. In that time, we have personally witnessed how supporting gender expansive children has changed their lives for the better. 
and in some cases, it has saved their lives. Every single life that we have saved is precious. Asking all students to give their pronouns in schools is a small price to pay for these kids' lives. Research has shown that while trans and gender expansive kids can be at higher risk for suicide, a supportive and affirming family and community reduces that risk to no greater than cisgender kids. Furthermore, a recent study by The Lancet has shown that out of 100 children who pursue some form of gender transition, social or medical, only two or fewer will decide to stop transition. This means between 98 and 100 kids out of 100 will be happier and more emotionally stable than they were pre-transition. We have personally seen how kids initiate their own transitions. Few parents expect or desire their children to be gender expansive. The idea that there's a gender ideology somehow being pushed on children is a dangerous fiction that comes from right-wing transphobic propaganda. We heartily support our school district's efforts to support our gender expansive children. We value their lives and their mental health and research from institutions from the American Medical Association to the American Academy of Pediatrics has shown that affirming kids in their gender identities is the best practice for parents, schools, and medical professions. It's a fucking cult. How do I know this? Scotland. Is this Scotland? UK police want to interview man over his Twitter commentary about video of pride flag. It's now becoming against the law there. Scotland is sending home paperwork or doing it in class, asking 12-year-olds what their gender is. And if you think it's not coming here, it is. Trans activists secretly handing out hormone treatment to kids. Oregon Department of Education. Guidelines on LGBTQ students. They promote the use of pronouns using bathrooms based on gender identity and support gender-affirming care for minors. It also provides links to kids with info on tucking and chest-binding. And here are two kid, two teachers in Oregon. One of them is a pedo. How many times have you viewed child pornography for your sexual pleasure? It has happened and I felt bad about it as I'm doing it. As you're masturbating to it? Yeah. Okay. So when's the last time you viewed CP? At least a couple months, I would think. I don't think it's been a couple months. You were on Telegram two days ago, or I'm sorry, yesterday. The past couple weeks, I've seen you on there almost every day, always late at night when they're asleep. When's the last time you were on Telegram looking at little kids, naked or not naked? Then, yeah, last time I was on Telegram. Okay. I, I'm kind of curious about this this article you wrote one time about how your son's wearing a dress and stuff like that. What's going on with that? I'm not um, judging, I'm just kind of curious. I know, I know, I know what you're talking about. I'm just trying to think exactly what I wrote in it. And it was about gender stuff. I'm not a morning person and I haven't had caffeine. You work at a school and you're not a morning person? I know. What? Okay. You have pickles ready yet? How's it going, sir? So this individual works at the elementary school, Myrtle Creek Elementary. He's admitted to me that he's like viewed child porn and masturbated to it and says he receives it on Telegram and he has pictures of the kids at the elementary on his phone, not nudes as far as I know, but he takes pictures of them, like selfies together. And he says it's, he's like attracted to those kids. 
Pull your kids out of school. Just pull them out of school. And lastly, annual report for Tennessee shows there's an increasing amount of kids under the uh, under poverty in Tennessee, and it's probably that way everywhere, but we don't care about those things. We care about cutting off their genitalia and making them good liberal voters. That's what we care about. So today we saw that it's okay for Biden and company to lie about borders and pretty much everything like that beaver in the beginning building a dam. The media just dam up information and social media boycotts information. And we have a 5 million misinfo experts that don't actually stop misinfo. They spread misinfo like a goddamn plague everywhere. We find out J6 made sure that anybody who is conservative now also has credit problems by leaking their Social Security numbers. And that foreign insurrections are now to be blamed on anybody who questioned the 2020 election. That's pretty fucking slick. And then the cult of trans has now brainwashed little kids, everybody, and they're forcing it even on people with Down syndrome. But yes... Those conservatives are a threat to democracy, CNN and MSNBC and WAPO and New York Times. You're 100% right. The right is such a threat to democracy and freedoms. Maybe if we trans the mentally retarded, we'll be better human beings, right? You're a bunch of sick fucks. That's what you are. So... This wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Share with your family and friends. Go to Rumble, SoundCloud, and send me emails telling me to go fuck myself at foppodcast at gmail.com. Today, you will get Walk 6, the positives of Drill Sergeant. I will start on Fort Campbell 1 tomorrow. Take a break because of rain on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Finish up probably that maybe get to korea too and then i'm off the net for video walks because i'll be in surgery the wednesday the 18th and i probably won't be walking for a couple days and if i am it'll be in the neighborhood so i won't feel like talking but we'll get back to it on the other side until then disconnect from all your devices don't give the yeah yeahs make sure you enjoy your family pull your kids out of fucking public school and private school them or homeschool their ass because if you leave them with these goddamn cultists they're gonna be fucked up for life as always thanks for listening and you all take care